Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. We have a couple of different treats for you on today's show. In our first segment, Paul McMullen talks with Ida E. Jones, who has a new book about Victorine Q. Adams, an influential Catholic, a civil rights activist, and the first African-American woman elected to the Baltimore City Council. And in our second segment, Christopher Gunty talks with a man who has traveled with Pope Francis on every one of his 30 foreign trips. Paul Herring is the Rome-based senior photographer for Catholic News Service, and he shares his insights on covering popes through his camera lens. And now, here's Paul McMullen. Hi, this is Paul McMullen, managing editor of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Ida E. Jones. She's the author of a new book. Its title is Baltimore Civil Rights Leader Victorine Q. Adams, The Power of the Ballot. Uh, Miss Jones is the university archivist of Morgan State University in Baltimore, and she became intrigued with Victorine Adams, who was the uh, very first African-American woman to serve on the Baltimore City Council. Uh, she became uh, intrigued with Miss Adams during Morgan State's sesquicentennial celebration in 2017, when she uh, recognized that the history of African American Baltimore, and to a large extent the state of Maryland, has a Morgan connection. Uh, individuals and organizations uh, that have gone to Morgan State University, uh, former Morgan State College, historically black college. Ida Jones, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, and thank you, Paul. First, thanks for your contribution to Baltimore history. Uh, right on page one of your book, you note that in 1912, the year your subject was born, there were 61 black people lynched in the United States. And some of those murders occurred right here in Maryland, and some of them about five miles from where we're chatting here in downtown Baltimore. I ask you, uh, you know, our re listeners are saying, why is this uh, biography of Victorine Adams pertinent to uh, Catholic Baltimore? And, and if you could read from page 27 of your book. Thank you, I will. The activism and humility of St. Peter's Claver imbued Victorine with a servant's heart that resulted in a career in education and politics. She did not accommodate the intermittent storms of racism within the Catholic Church. She worked with other blacks and liberal whites to rid the Catholic Church of discriminatory practices as well as denounce those who used their pulpit to preach racist practices against blacks in Baltimore. So, thank you. So, Miss Adams um, was born and raised in uh, St. Peter Claver Parish, historically black uh, parish uh, in Sandtown, Winchester. After the Freddie Gray riots, it was uh, the, our, our point of emphasis for the Catholic Church's response and a lot of other folks' response. Elaborate on that passage. What did you mean about the work that she did and how it was imbued by St. Peter Claver? The interesting thing is my own ignorance of not knowing much about Catholic Church history, so I must have that disclaimer first. I did Protestant Church history. So to learn about the African-American history of Catholicism in Baltimore being the country's oldest or 
origins of such was revelatory. And then seeing that there's a strong presence of African Americans, they had to grow out of St. Francis into St. Peter's, lets me know that there was a lot of African Americans who were practicing Catholicism. Even to this day, there are still a very strong amount of Catholics in Baltimore, African Americans. So what she does with her parish, from my observation, is that they were into education, they were into humility, and they were into social justice in non uh, I guess an over covert ways, excuse me. They weren't out protesting, they weren't out picketing. They just simply wanted to be their best selves living according to the gospel as it is preached and taught in the Catholic tradition, which is very interesting with the oblate. So you find a very subversive agenda that is all scriptural, using the life of Christ as a prism through which to view themselves as being brothers and sisters of mankind, not simply subjects of a Jim Crow system along those lines. So she really uses that Catholic impetus to drive her to being humble, but also to share her wealth educationally and financially with others who don't have as much. So how did she go about doing that? Can you talk about some of the initiatives she, she took on? This is a woman who, uh, some older Baltimoreans will remember the fuel fund. It was a Baltimore gas and electric program that helped the indigent and the needy with their fuel bill. This woman worked for LBJ. She worked for Lyndon Baines Johnson here in the state of Maryland. Uh, in the same year, uh, right around the time that the Civil Rights Voting Act was, was passed. Can you share us, uh, her background there? Yes. So the, the trajectory of her work really starts with education in the classroom. She leaves the classroom by the mid-1940s. So she was a teacher? She was an elementary school teacher. Mm -hmm. And she actually taught elementary school students, as most women did at the time as a female profession. But by the mid-1940s, after World War II, she goes into voting rights education. So she starts this Colored Women's Democratic Campaign Committee to have African-American women learn about the vote and to really kind of champion women to become this lobbying agency for the vote. So that's her first initiative, because they realize having money in education with no political clout was almost moot. So the idea of getting into politics and not looking at race, but looking at candidates whose agendas supported community and humane efforts, and particularly African-American education, because some of the buildings were sick buildings, the teachers were underpaid. So it was just basic human rights issues that were, were evident. So if you fast forward to the 1960s and all the upheaval, she decides to run for the state senate. And in running for the state senate, she fails in her first campaign. She wins in her second campaign, and she is in the state senate of Maryland. She leaves within one year to run for city council in Baltimore. Why would you leave the state to go to the city? Because she wanted to make sure her voice was on the city level. What happens in the 1960s, no one could have foreseen. The assassination of JFK, the rioting that happens after King. There was a lot of upheaval, and no one was in the city with humane understanding. And that's across the country. Unique to Baltimore was the divestiture of the manufacturing plants. A lot of companies, McCormick Spice, and other companies were leaving the city. So jobs were going away. And people who had not transferred their skills from maintenance or manual labor to a more office-related job, they were lost. And so she wanted to make sure we retool the working class, 18 to 35 years old, who may not be able to work in corporate America, but could do something else besides manufacturing. Well, that example should be really resonates today. Nothing's changed in the uh, close to 50 years since she began her work. Talk about her humility. In her um, in the Catholic Review obituary of a Victorine Q. Adams, we covered her funeral, um, and I guess it was Agnes Welch, one of her friends, said that that this should have been held at a larger place, the Cathedral of Mary, our Queen. She suggested that, where I, where I say Baltimore State funerals were held, whether you're Catholic or not you can have a funeral at the Cathedral of Mary, our Queen. But then 
as Miss Welch said, she wouldn't have been comfortable with that. St. Peter Claver was her parish. Can you talk about her humility and how it was manifested? What I think is very interesting about her, that's a very good question. I did not have the pleasure of knowing her personally, although we share a sorority in common, and I was a member while she was yet living, for the, at least for the last six years of her life, maybe the last 20 years of her life, but I never heard of her, so that really bothered me. I'm right in the lower parts of D.C., the upper parts of Baltimore. So there's one part where she does not really kind of register on the radar of the sorority for whatever reason. But from the wealth that she had in terms of her own personal wealth and that of her husband's wealth, as well as her stature, she had no need, quote, for anything. So why would you give if you have no need? That right there is very contrary to how we look at politicians now. Politicians only get and give according to what benefits them. So there's something to say about that. So her idea of reaching out to the, quote, poor, the, uh, those voiceless individuals. She even did this thing at the um, Barrett School. During the 30s and 40s, they had orphaned youth and, I guess, wayward children put into these kind of homes that the state would fund. So there was a Negro girls, a Negro boys, a white girls, and a white boys home. So she would go to the Negro girls school and work with these indigent or orphaned young women and help them understand employment, dress, and decorum so that they'd be able to fit in the world after they left the orphanage. So she did this on her own dime and her own time to go and invest in the lives of these young women who were seemingly, quote, forgotten by society. And we know all about these orphanage homes and these work homes. They were not very nice, and sometimes people were taken advantage of. So I believe that was her ministry, to see people as individuals and really speak to the individual and show them by her own example, but then also connect them with resources to empower themselves. What's the name of the sorority? Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority, <laughs> okay. of which Agnes Welsh is also a member. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Your book is richly uh, detailed, a lot of layers on her family history. Her uh, middle initial is Q, that's for Quill, and one of her cousins was a, a black entrepreneur at a time when it was hard to do that. And if you've seen a, a parking garage in Baltimore, there's more than a dozen of them that have the Quill name on it. And that's interesting, and plus her husband was Little Willie Adams. Yes. A uh, sometimes notorious figure in Baltimore, but uh, sometimes uh, charged but never convicted of numbers running. Rather so elusive. That's important. We've been talking with Ida Jones. She's the author of Baltimore Civil Rights Leader, Victorine Q. Adams, The Power of the Ballot. It's got a forward by Larry Gibson, a really important Baltimorean, just uh, named to a Hall of Fame here. It's available at the History Press and wherever books are sold. And uh, Ida, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much too, Paul, and the Catholic Review. You're welcome. This is Paul McMullen, Managing Editor of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. After the break, we'll talk with a man who has traveled with Pope Francis on every one of his 30 foreign trips. Paul Herring is the Rome-based senior photographer for Catholic News Service. Stay tuned to Catholic Baltimore. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. A three-day Christ Life National Training Conference was held June 26th through the 28th at Our Lady of Perpetual Health Parish in Ellicott City. The conference drew about 190 people from at least two foreign countries and 17 U.S. states to learn more about bringing the evangelization program to their parishes. Baltimore-based Christ Life seeks to equip Catholics for the essential work of evangelization so that all people might personally encounter Jesus Christ and be transformed into his missionary disciples. The three-day conference offered sessions on facilitating small groups in evangelization, reaching new people in surrounding communities, and going deeper in faith to be a better disciple. 
Pete Oskosi, Assistant Director of Christ Life, sees the program as the answer to the various challenges staff and volunteers face in their home parishes and communities to bring people to Christ. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. This is Chris Gunty from the Catholic Review. Today our guest is Paul Herring, senior photographer for Catholic News Service. He's based in Rome, and he is the only press photographer who has gone with the Pope on with Pope Francis on all of his papal trips. Welcome to the show, Paul. It's a pleasure to be with you, Chris, and it's a pleasure to be in the United States on a rare visit. That's great. We're great to have you. I want to talk to you a little bit about what's it like to be on those papal trips. Uh, I know you've talked about it before. It's a grueling kind of schedule, but what's it look like from your side of the lens? Well, we work very hard, simply put. Um, we sleep about four hours a night. We uh, need to stay very focused. We, we're always trying to stay ahead of the Pope. He does many events in the various countries we visit, and we don't always photograph or cover every every aspect of the event or the whole event, but we're usually moving on quickly to the next event to be there in time for his arrival. Mm-hmm. And on a typical trip, we have something like 60 reporters. The major agencies of the world all cover the Holy Father. We have maybe about four to six photo- still photographers, and we have about the same number of videographers. Mm-hmm. 
I've seen you right now. Of course, our radio listeners can't see it, but you know, Paul has two cameras in here, both of which have long lenses. But I've seen the lens you use in St. Peter's Square, and that's about three and a half feet long. I mean, what what's it like to shoot the events at the Vatican from St. Peter's Square, but also some of the more intimate events? Well, it's it's always important when you're photographing the Pope to be prepared, arrive early. Um, of course, someone like myself who's been in Rome 10 years and having photographed the Vatican for some time, I'm, I'm very used to the events at the Vatican, but, but still you want to arrive on time and be prepared, bring the right gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the gear we're working with is mostly long lenses because normally we're not so close to the Pope. Normally we're some distance and we need perhaps between a four and 600 millimeter lens or even longer to capture good shots of the Pope. You've gotten pictures of the Pope laughing, playing, but also very somber. What's that like? Does he have more than one side? Yes, I would say so. He's um, very friendly and engaging uh, with people, for example, in St. Peter's Square. But during liturgies, he we see a, a much more somber side, a serious side. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's pretty clear that he does have two major sides and very, almost like a fun-loving, engaging side with people and you know, very, a more serious side too. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite images of the Pope or the favorite things you've seen him done that you've been able to capture? Well, I photographed uh, from the start of his pontificate, so I've been there for all the important visual moments and important in themselves. Um, But some of the trips have been very memorable, his trips to the Philippines and surviving practically a tornado, not a tornado, but a hurricane there in Tacloban. I remember the pictures from that of, of everybody wearing these yellow ponchos on, on, on top of, of their liturgical vestments. I mean, yes, and, and I have to say, Pope Francis is very tough with the weather. He, the rain doesn't deter him. The storms don't deter him. He has a certain bravery with uh, confronting uh, the weather. Is um, part of that because he thinks if people have come out and waited a long time to see him, then he needs to be there for them? I would think so. I would think so, yes. But yeah, I've, I have, I can't settle on like a singular image, I would say, that defines the pontificate, but it's, uh, you know, many images over the years uh, mm-hmm. have come, for me, have come to represent this pontificate. Mm-hmm. Some of the, the favorite shots of yours that I've seen are ones where either the, the Pope's uh, cape is is blowing in the wind or, or his zucchetto is flying off or those kinds of things. And is that about just being in the right place at the right time or are you just kind of, you're in the, in the lens all the time? Well, this is something the photographers always want to get and I'm kind of laughing about it because we almost try it too hard. When it's windy, we, uh, we really try to pay attention and wait for that zucchetto to go off but but sometimes it really happens unexpectedly and there's there's a total element of luck and you you may miss it and is it a really important picture not really but it's it's fun for people it's fun for the photographers fun for the editors and mm-hmm. i think it's a it brings kind of a, a lighthearted touch to the papacy <laughs> ballpark any idea how many photos you've taken of pope francis 
Well, my cameras read frames, and one camera is nearly at half a million, oh my and the other is uh, around 300,000. And my work is 90% the Pope, so I, I have taken a lot of pictures yeah. of him. <laughs> About three-quarters of a million pictures of the Pope. And obviously not all of them get published. And not, That's right. A lot of them look similar because they're one right after the other. I do remember being with you in Rome uh, to cover, I think it was the beatification of, of uh, St. John Paul. And we were up on the, the, the top of the colonnade in the press area, which was off to the side of the altar. And at one point, all of a sudden, there was a guy from the, the Vatican press office who said, oh, you can come this way. And, and you said, come with me. You know? and, and so I followed you, and we went up another set of stairs and around the colonnade, at uh, the top of the colonnade, to get a great shot from the front of that part of St. Peter's Square. So we were looking straight on it at St. Peter's Basilica. How do, you, how do you learn where all those shortcuts are and all those great places are to take your, just the right photo? Well, I, I learned from others as you learned from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's an agency we had collaborated with for many years um, in Rome, and when I moved to Rome, they were very helpful, and uh, other photographers are very helpful showing me the ropes. Because mm. there is a lot to learn, and there's not a guidebook on how to do it. Yeah. You've been in Rome 10 years now. Tell us a little bit more about the Rome Bureau staff in Rome, Catholic News Service, which as Catholic Review were subscribers to, uh, we rely a really lot on your coverage, the coverage from you and the rest of your colleagues. What's that bureau look like? Well, we have three reporters. We have myself. I'm a, primarily a still photographer, and we have a videographer, and we have a secretary who helps manage the, the office. Um, but we have, a, we have a lot of experience and depth in covering the Vatican, our bureau chief has, uh, is really a lifer. She's been there 25 or 30 years. I, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. At our, another reporter has been there, well, in Italy since the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But she also has um, worked for Vatican Radio. Uh, she has um, many, many years of experience covering the Vatican. And um, we have another reporter who is fluent in Spanish. Um, he's a, a recent hire within the last few years, but uh, he's brought a nice dimension with his ability with Spanish, and this has been very useful with Pope Francis and on some of the trips in particular to Latin American countries. Yeah. And where is your office? I understand it's pretty close to the Vatican, about a throw, stone's throw away. It, it is, it is, it is. And I forgot about my other colleague, Robert Duncan, who I, I share an office with, and I, I should give him a shout-out, because if he's listening to this, uh, <laughs> I don't think he would like it that I didn't mention him. But he's done some some nice documentary work. In addition to his daily work, um, we put together a unique documentary on Vatican II, and we interviewed a lot of the participants, some of whom have died in, in recent years, and uh, it was a very valuable project we worked on. That's great. You know, it it impresses me, of course, that you're there. We appreciate having you there because the images of the Holy Father are so important to us and to our readers and the coverage that Cindy Wood and Carol Glatz and Junio, um, and I never pronounced his last name correctly. I have trouble with that, too. Okay. And and Robert, all of you provide such, such great coverage for us. What's it like just to live in Italy as an American? Do you ever get used to it? You remain an American. I went over there thinking that I could become one of them, 
but really you adapt, not become one of them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's many beautiful things even about living there, uh, the, the architecture, the culture. Um, Food's not the, so bad the either. The food is very good. And <laughs> you, you see some really positive things about the way of life, the respect for the family. Um, and you, you compare these things to the American experience. But then also, you, you give up a lot of conveniences of living in America. It's not as convenient of society. Things take longer to get done. And um, even something simple like a, a repair may take much longer than in the States. Well, we're glad that you're over there. We've been talking with Paul Herring, who is senior photographer for Catholic News Service. He's based in Rome. And we've been talking to him in St. Petersburg, Florida, at the annual conference of the Catholic Media Convention. Thanks so much for being with us, Paul. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.